0: I think for too many years, we've designed cities for cars. We've designed cities for commerce and exchange and not for people. And I really believe that the things that are going on right now in this country, and whether it's this role in the way that we feel physically, socially, and from a community standpoint, is because we don't see ourselves in design. We just see cul-de-sacs and on-ramps and off-ramps and we need uh, better places where we can connect as a community.
1: That was Marquis Stillwell, founder and principal of OpenBox, and this is The Art of Change from Gerard Phillips, Caden Hancock. I'm David Schifrin. The health disparities faced by communities of color across the country are no secret. Black Americans face higher prevalence of and worse outcomes for many conditions. The same is also true for Latino populations. COVID-19 disproportionately affects Black and Latino populations as well. The interplay between socioeconomic status and health is well-documented, access to care is a challenge, and bias, both implicit and explicit, damages trust and creates barriers to care. We have to fix that. We, as an industry and a society, have to fix that. In this podcast, we're looking at our responsibility to build a more inclusive, equitable, and accessible healthcare system, focusing on marketing, communications, and design. Many of the ideas expressed here apply to healthcare in general, to any patient population, to developing a better healthcare system and delivering a better experience for everyone. But we have a particular obligation to really call out what this means for underserved populations and people of color. So we're trying to do that here and coming at it from the perspective of people whose work revolves around building accessible, inclusive systems. And that starts, according to Sonia Thompson, with belonging. Thompson is the founder, CEO, and chief consultant of Thompson Media Group. She spent years in marketing, including a decade in healthcare and biotech, Today, she focuses on helping organizations deliver outstanding customer experiences that are inclusive and also drive the business forward towards its goals. We asked Thompson what principles have been reinforced or challenged through the pandemic.
2: The things that have been reinforced is the whole notion that business is about belonging and your customers need to see, it needs to feel like they belong with you. If they don't, they're gonna go off and search of somewhere else where they do feel like they belong. So all these things that have been going on separately, but as they've been converging together, has just only proven to reinforce that belonging in delivering a experience throughout every part of your journey is more critical now than ever because it matters more to the people as they're figuring out who should they be giving their attention to, their loyalty to.
1: Another side of belonging. Or maybe another way to look at it is being seen. We heard from Marquis Stillwell in the cold open. Stillwell is a designer who runs Open Box, a New York-based design firm that uses human-centered design to create better urban living. Their work includes everything from transportation to education to healthcare.
0: I mean, from a designer standpoint, for us, it's it's always about getting out and talking to people, to real people, and and building trust from the beginning of the conversation. I think that. Everything that's also happening simultaneously around social justice, really what the, these young kids are offering, and many of them young, I, I don't say that in a derogatory way, but I think that they're, this younger generation, they are pushing to be seen. That's what it, when they say black lives matter. Matter means I matter. I need you to see me. And that's across the board. It's not just around police brutality. It's around health care. Bookmark that issue of trust. We talk about
1: it in several places here. But as people push to be seen, they're also looking to see who's paying attention and responding. Thompson again.
2: And a lot of times with everything that's been happening with the pandemic, people have been looking at brands to see how have they been adjusting? How have they been accommodating to all the things that have been going on to this new world that we're all navigating through? The same thing has been happening with the Black Lives Matter movement. There have been as it's been resurging, there have been customers who have been looking to see, are the brands that they're giving their money to, that they're giving their attention to, do they align with their values? Uh, do they uh, value them and respect them as people and individuals, or do they only see them as a paycheck um, or as you know a credit card number?
1: Specifically, though, what does it mean to be seen or to belong when it comes to healthcare? care? had a very specific example.
0: Myself? During this time, I'm at a, I guess I can say it, one medical, it's it's okay, I'm at one medical group, and I called them uh, a couple weeks ago just to make an appointment, and I asked specifically, I said, is there a a doctor of color, a person of color? And they had a hard time finding Again, I'm in New York City, I'm 25% black, and they did not have a, a doctor, a person, a black doctor that I could see. I said, you know, I'm getting to a certain age where I'd like to have certain conversations that are probably more in line with just who I am and culturally growing up that I need to discuss. And I would love to have that level of comfort and trust. It doesn't mean that I'm not interested in seeing anyone else, but I was like, you know, I'd like to see that. And to my surprise, I was like, no, there is no primary care. There is no doctor, all in New York City. And so how can you get me into your office when my comfort level and even walking in can't even, I can't even see myself in your doctor's office. Right. And so we have to build systems that allow people to see themselves, feel comfortable and making sure that we're asking the right questions. So why would you want to see someone that looks like you? What, what is important for you? Where's, where's this trust begin with you?
1: Listening to both Stillwell and Thompson, there's an explicit lesson that, and here I'm going to come out of the editorial we and and speak for myself, this lesson should be obvious and it sounds obvious when stated out loud, but too many of us and too many organizations don't live it out. It's that our differences mean we have different needs, and too often, again, to be very explicit here, white people and organizations where people of color aren't represented don't think about the fact that other communities need and deserve to be seen and represented so that their needs can be met. We see ourselves, and we don't step back to realize that that's not true for everyone. So here's Stilwell continuing his story about not being able to find a black doctor.
0: Now, there are some cultural references, cultural differences that that are important for people to actually have better conversations. And even basic questions around how people are eating, what are they eating, and being able to ask them in the way that doesn't put people off. But it makes them feel like, okay, I think this person is understanding, because they're, you know, they either know my culture, or are part of my culture. How do we start to dive deeper into that? Which is why, again, I go back to people-centered design. It has to be grounded in that before we can make real systems changes.
1: Thompson explained how this plays out more generally with a customer and patient experience.
2: It means recognizing that people have differences. And not falling into this trap that one size fits all is true. One size fits all is a lie. <laughs> it's it's a lie. So just to give you an example, I um, I'm just coming back from maternity leave, and while I was on while I was pregnant, I bought a, a pair of maternity pants that, strangely enough, said one size fits all. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I actually didn't put these pants on until after I had the baby. And they did not fit. They were too small. <laughs> so I was just like, how can these size <laughs> <are laughs> fits all? These are maternity pants, right? So people are different. We've got different bodies. We've got different experiences. We've got different ways in which we view the world. And you feel like you belong when you know that someone sees you and they see your differences. They see who you are and they tailor the experience that you're delivering to, to, the, to let you know that even with those differences you are still belonging you still belong and you're welcome here. So an example of this in healthcare I worked with a client a couple of years ago and they had um, they were trying to reach out to both African American patients and Latino patients. And the materials that they used were all the same as they were the same as the materials that were used for every, everybody got the same sets of promotional materials. Okay. Yes. The disease state is the same, but the, the adjustments that people would need to be make to be successful on both the medication and, in managing their disease, you needed to acknowledge cultural nuances, for people to be able to make a lasting change in their behavior.
1: So we've heard a couple of negative examples here. What about organizations or campaigns on the other side of that? Organizations that are clearly explicitly working to show their commitment to belonging. We put that question to Thompson.
2: Um, I think from Procter & Gamble and a couple of different fronts, they've started to dive deeper into the people and the experiences that different customer groups have that impact the way that they are able to engage with society and of course the brands so they did this with they've done this on a couple of fronts they've done it with the my black is beautiful campaign that they've had for years that showcases that for black women to remind them that this Mainstream media hasn't done a great job of, de- of, they've defined beauty as something different that doesn't necessarily, hasn't necessarily included Black women. So they were just bringing that into part of the conversation to showcase that yes, it is. They also did a series of prom campaigns around the talk, just recognizing um, the realities of Black men in particular and what it's like for them to engage with the world that is different from what other people might've been doing. They also did it with Gillette whenever they started talking about redefining what masculinity was in an effort to shut down toxic masculinity, right? They're starting to have these bigger conversations that showcase that one, what they stand for. And it's not just about saying like what their value, they're putting it into their promotional campaigns.
1: It's worth taking a moment to note a limitation on comparing healthcare with other industries. Matt Gove, Chief Marketing Officer at Summit CityMD, pointed out that, unlike most other industries, healthcare providers capture demand, but they don't create it. That means creating a message to show people they belong, which includes very tactical things like being in the right spot with the right message on Google and creating trust within a community so that it's easy and comfortable for
3: friends and family to provide a referral. But that can only go so far there's only a certain amount of work that proactive messaging can do when you work in a business that most people don't want to think about ever. Nobody, nobody sits around thinking about what would a great hospital stay be like, right? What would a great doctor visit be like? And so we need to deliver a great experience. We need to design um, and build tools that allow for that, but we can't, uh, can't delude ourselves into believing that, that we can compete with, you know, Bud Light and other consumer um, packaged goods in creating this sort of need or want to be connected to our brand. We need to be really good at taking care of people when they arrive at our door really good about capturing people and giving them the information they need to make the best decision for themselves. On the retail side, we need to be really good at site selection and being present in our communities and available and open and delivering a really fast and simple, great experience. But then we have to recognize that part of our role is to recede a little bit into the background until the next time somebody needs us. And I'm okay with that.
1: Okay, so that's a bit of added sort of domain-specific context here. And even though it's it's reasonable to note the limitations comparing healthcare with other industries, you know, even while we were discussing Gov's point while developing this podcast, we did hear some pushback on the limits of proactive messaging people aren't generally excited to think about hospital visits and healthcare for sure. But there are areas, think about OB and prenatal care for, for one, where people do work to get ahead of the curve. They do their research and find the right provider in advance. And furthermore, we also heard that this can be more at the forefront for people of color, where finding someone who looks like them and understands their cultural context really is a key factor in the proactive search for care. So, Stilwell wasn't the only one who brought that up. We'll likely be discussing that more in the future, so stay tuned. But getting back to the idea of inclusivity, a critical aspect of that and belonging that Thompson and Still will describe is that it is real, it is deep and active. It is not a quick fix. Here's Thompson again.
2: So it wasn't just about putting forth promotional brochures and putting a picture of a black family, right? That that doesn't work and it's very superficial. Maybe it's a starting point, but it didn't acknowledge any cultural differences that would make people say, oh yeah, I can see this information and I can see how it applies directly to me, versus looking at a brochure that your doctor hands you and we're like, I can't even see how I would implement any of it. So doctors, healthcare providers, people in the healthcare field, as you're working to create behavior change among your the people that you're serving. How can you make things as simple as possible so they can see themselves reflected? they can see themselves actually adopting to a new lifestyle or adopting to what it is that you would have them do. But to do that, you have to speak to their language. But to speak to their language, you first have to understand how those differences impact the way people, the actions that people take and the actions that they don't take.
1: Back to Matt Gove. Summit Medical Group is one of the largest independent physician practices in the U.S. CityMD is the largest urgent care company in the New York metro area. They joined forces in a merger last year. The area they serve is dense and diverse, so inclusive marketing is something that Gove thinks about a lot. When it comes to the role of marketing in creating an inclusive experience, he also mentioned those basics, those not justs that Thompson highlighted as a starting point.
3: From a marketing perspective, I think the where appropriate, including specific messaging for certain groups of people that may need it, I think it extends from some of the basic things you should do around sending out things in languages other than English, right, and being more sensitive to the needs of the community in that way. But again, that's table stakes. It has to go further. Um, but then also featuring employees, highlighting physicians, when you're serving communities uh, with people of color, in particular, having physicians that those communities can relate to that recognize the issues in those communities, and then having materials and messages that reflect our, our, our commitment to that, I think is important.
1: We also talked to Paul Matson, Chief Marketing and Communications Officer at Cleveland Clinic. Here's how Cleveland Clinic has been helping the communities it
4: serves through inclusive messaging. The data is very, very clear about the disproportionate impact that COVID-19 has had on minority communities, particularly Black and African American communities, but we're seeing it in Latino communities uh, as well. And we're very mindful of that. We've we've taken some very specific actions. We developed a very specific uh, PSA message that featured Black and African American Cleveland Clinic. Physicians, They were very passionate about participating. That we did both on television and radio uh, here in Northeast Ohio. The Cleveland Clinic
1: has also focused heavily on partnerships, working with other organizations that already have infrastructure
4: and expertise and community trust to provide more equitable care. We've also worked with the state to get out similar messaging, uh, the Department of Health to get out messaging to those communities. For example, in the in the uh, city of Akron, where we have Akron General Hospital, uh, we worked with the local United Way to set up a drive-through testing site uh, in the city of Akron, the first one that was available that was predominantly there because the minority African-American community was being underserved. So I think you have to have very local strategies and interventions. Again, our primary care, uh, Cleveland Clinic Community Care Group, is working with higher patients, predominantly minority and black and African-American patients who've been identified as high risk, and they're tracking them through the COVID crisis and uh, providing the necessary interventions. We've
1: already mentioned it a few times, but an issue that sits right under the surface of everything we've talked about so far is trust. All of this, getting people through the door, serving them well, helping them make the best decisions for themselves and supporting them in that, it all requires trust. Just as one example, a recent survey we at Girard conducted on consumer sentiment around healthcare showed that only 57% of white American adults were likely or highly likely to get a COVID-19 vaccine when it becomes available. That number dropped to 50% for Hispanic Latino populations and 36% for Black and African American respondents. So that shows that healthcare providers have not done what they need to do to earn back or earn for the first time the trust of people of color. And how do you earn that trust as a provider, especially when it comes to underserved populations and people of color who have been slighted and even abused by the healthcare system? By listening and by showing up. Here's Marquis Stillwell again. So again,
0: this idea of trust, when you're engaging, there has to be a level of communication that isn't always about questions, all right? How are we going to start to build a strong rapport? How do we actually get information? I am always so shocked when I walk into my doctor's office that I've had for many years and this person has to remind themselves of who I am. That is not a great way to build trust. (laughs) When I'm already going through something or feeling a certain way and you have to get on your chart and remind yourself, and then you have a few notes down there to say, remember, he has this or that, he's from here, and you know some of my softer information. And you keep repeating that over and over, so I know it's in your notes. And there's nothing new. But I understand that the healthcare system has a lot of pressure. And when it comes to how do they make money, which is a whole nother conversation, it's very difficult. I understand that. I still say that when it comes to collaboration you don't collaborate by coming in and establishing yourself as an expert by asking a lot of questions first. It's about opening a dialogue and getting to know a person. And I'm, again, I'm not taking away from the idea of question. Like, of course, to get someone to know, you have to ask a question. I'm, I'm leveraging, I'm, I'm using that word to express that Sometimes questions come across as if, hey, I'm asking you a question so I can gather information so that I can then come back and tell you what you should be doing. Versus asking a question so you can get to better questions and that there's a relationship back and forth. When do I get to ask questions? When can there be a back and forth? Thompson continued on
1: that theme in a context less about the patient-provider relationship and more about how an organization presents itself and builds that trust.
2: So it's a matter of, of doing that in, in putting forth the messenger, but making sure the messenger isn't just delivering a message. They're there to listen. So that way you can open the door for two-way feedback. Because we're in such a fluid sort of space right now, it's not just about the message that an organization wants to send. You want to be able to have that reputation be consistent over time in the midst of a world that's constantly changing. So that means that that reputation has to evolve with what's happening in a manner that still is true to that reputation, but that still acknowledges and adapts to what is happening. And the only way that you can do that is to keep an ear to the ground, be listening constantly so that you can find a way to maintain that reputation, maintain that level of trust, actually even deepen it if you can by adjusting your actions and your message to what is happening. But you can't do that if you first haven't listened.
1: So that's one piece of the puzzle, listening to build a relationship. Here's Thompson again talking about another really difficult and big piece of the puzzle,
2: being present. You have to show up uh, and you have to show up consistently and you have to show up in a way that feels like you care rather than one that feels very opportunistic. So that could take time, right? But so, but that it, it depends on how you're showing up. Like you can feel when somebody wants to get something from you. Right. So you don't, you know, and I think when you, when it particularly when it comes to communities who have traditionally been ignored and underserved. Yeah. It You're happy when somebody gives you attention, but at the same time, you're skeptical. Why are you here? What is it that you want? Right. So you are able to earn trust by consistency in your behavior and your reputation and what you do over time.
1: And finally, well, not finally, but it's the last thing, at least for this podcast, all of this will take advocacy. Stillwell recognized that there are regulatory barriers that need to come down to allow for more creativity in how we address these deficits. We mentioned the barbershop study to Stillwell. Look it up if you're not familiar with it. Here was his response.
0: Yeah, and going into, you know, black neighborhoods, particularly, and working with barber shops to not only just pass out pamphlets, but to actually have some real conversations around high blood or prostate or you know diabetes or anything that's that's severely affecting our community is another way of creating safe space. And I I, I think those are great ideas. We need to push those ideas. Make sure that there's real policy that allows for that to happen in a more meaningful way, that it's not just a, a, a one-off moment or a marketing moment, but it is truly something that helps to drive results. Uh, because the challenge is that there's a gap. Uh, when information is provided, when is the action taken? And getting individuals to actually take action, again, I'm sure there's a financial model in regards to delay Right, what it means when you delay a procedure or going to see your doctor. How can we shorten that? Design. I believe we can. I do believe that we can again design distributive systems that allow for medical centers to be in better locations. They don't need to be as big as they used to be. They can be more mobile. They can be more adaptive. And how can we change policy to allow for that to happen? And how can we redesign cities to allow for that to happen as well?
1: Healthcare, like all of society, has a long way to go when it comes to providing equitable, inclusive care. Every step of the process, from making sure people of color and other underserved populations can see themselves, to giving them the opportunity to have the right conversations with the right caregivers, to building trust across the community will take constant, intentional work. As Thompson pointed out, and as we mentioned before, this is an active thing. We can't rely on momentum or one-off workshops. It has to be or become a deep-seated part of the culture of every organization for the benefit of both the organization, the people within it, and the community it serves. We'll give the last word here to Sonia Thompson.
2: It's like it can't be a training. It can't be, you know, a day-long session that you kind of go through. It needs to be something that's ongoing that works not only to deliver information but that helps people understand more at a visceral personal level individual level so it's not just about what the organization is trying to do it's helping people see that everybody plays a role in it in working because sometimes diversity inclusion belonging topics are hard it requires some rewiring of people's way of thinking and the way they've been for decades so organizations really kind of need to think beyond sending out trainings to how do we fundamentally get people to see this as an organizational benefit, as an organizational imperative, not because this is what's happening in culture right now and we'll get in trouble if we don't do it, but this is is fundamentally the right thing to do and our organization's success depends on it.